this. And of course, that was, that was uh, three or four weeks ago. A lot has happened in one year, and in some ways, it seems like it's been a long time, but in others, a very short period of time. The Baltimore Sun conducted a contest years ago, and the following poem received a prize for the best answer to the question, what would you do if you had one year to live? If I had but one year to live, one year to help, one year to give, one year to love, one year to bless, one year of better things to stress, one year to sing, one year to smile, to brighten earth a little while, one year to sing my maker's praise, one year to fill with my work with days, one year to strive for a reward when I should stand before my Lord. I think that I would spend each day in just the very self-same way that I do now. Far, for, from afar, the, voice, the call may come across the bar at any time, and I must be prepared to meet eternity. So if I have a year to live, or just one day in which to give, a pleasant smile, a helping hand, a mind that tries to understand, a fellow creature when in need, tis one with me, I take no heed, but try to live each day he sends to serve my gracious master's ends. Written by Mary Davis Reed. And us determined to live every day as if it's our last day, every year, as if it's our last year, and in doing so, honoring our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Rachel, would you come and give us a report on the Live Love uh, Foundation? And we'll use uh, this microphone right here, gentlemen, in the, in the uh, sound booth. Thank you. I don't want to stand up here alone, so I've asked the girls to come up too. All right, we're going to pray first. Lord, thank you. Lord, take us with you wherever you want us to go. We pray without ceasing, Lord. Speak, Father, because your servants are listening. In Jesus' holy name, amen. People ask, what is the purpose, what is the mission of live love? Well, it's just what it says. Live love. And um, in him we live, we move, we have our being, but not without the foundation of our salvation. So that's where the name comes from, Live Love Foundation of Salvation, just in case you wanted to know. Um, just an update on what is going on. Speaking of if today's our last day, this is what we're going to tell you. Um, God is on the move. Last month we were called to another ministry in Mexico, the Iglesia Cristovive led by Frank and Alicia Bianco. We took a trip down there last month to see how everyone was doing. Here's an update on some of the ways God has blessed the ones that we serve. We have the Children with Faith Niños con Fe Orphanage. We brought a visual lesson about how Jesus takes away our sin, and a little 16-year-old soul was saved. How precious that she's been adopted into the family of God. It was amazing grace. We had a Christmas celebration in February, serving beef brisket to all and passing out robes and presents to the kids. This was in February, mind you, um, which was awesome. And another orphanage is being built to separate the boys and the girls there at Nina's Confe. We're looking into green cards for the teens to work and use their trades in San Diego, working alongside employees at GMF and with the ministry. So that is a prayer request we have. Um, Capila Calvier... Calvario Tecolote Church, led by Pastor Pedro. Through the Lord's provision, we are supporting them as they build a new and bigger sanctuary with a coffee shop on the first floor. And um, their, their second floor, which is their current sanctuary, will become their fellowship dining hall and children's ministry. La Iglesia Cristo Vive is led by Frank and Alicia Bianco. Uh, they gave us a warm welcome. It was our first time meeting them and seeing their church facilities. 
and they made us a wonderful lunch of homemade fladas and horchata. Hope I said that right. Okay. Um, God has provided resources through our people to help with the restoration of the roof, plumbing, and electrical at this specific church. We are praying for donations for a room that is upstairs where Bible lessons are learned that is in badly need of an upgrade. They need just basic walls and paint. Also needed is a 15-plus passenger van to carry families back and forth to the church. Alicia, who is the children's ministry leader, that's the wife of Frank, she goes and grabs the kids and brings them to the church every Sunday. Um, And she takes, uh, like, a, a car that's got... You can fit five people in there, but she squeezes 15 in there anyways. <laughs> That's why we need a van. The van needs to be purchased in Mexico because of importing restrictions, or you can donate your car or van here, and we can forward funds from the sale for one down there. Uganda, Rachel's house, the Uganda Live Love store is open and running. Shelves have been stocked, and business is starting to pick up, creating employment and work ethics for the children at Rachel's house. We are praying in hopes to go meet everyone and see everything in October. Since this will be our initial trip, the main focus will be to meet the kids and Rachel, and we will go to church with them, praise God with them, share the gospel message, and before we leave, Lily set all this up, by the way, and before we, will, and before we leave, we will surely establish relationships, Gary great at that, and utilize resources, another Gary is awesome at that, to accomplish the vision God has put on our hearts. Rachel's house is just that, a house. So God has provided a land that is currently being paid on, where we hope to build an orphanage for these kids and all others God will bring. This is the heart of Lily because of her personal experience. God has asked her and us to come alongside him, God, to build an orphanage school that demonstrates not just words, but actions, Christ-like love. The vision is to provide physically and spiritually the needs of more children and adults and spread the gospel to those whom God has called us to serve in Africa. Please pray, and as the Lord leads you, we invite you to come alongside us. We just recently had an auction at the Live Love office, which if you don't know, it's in National City. Um, yes. and uh, we raised uh, quite a bit of money from a lot of donations that came in that we could not take down to Mexico, and then we turned around and gave that right over back over to um, all of the people we serve in Mexico. Okay, new thing, Live Love Sock Project, creating sock packages, Cindy, if you can grab that, that have items such as toothbrushes, toothpaste, dental floss, underwear, hand sanitizer, a bottle of water, chapstick, a card from us that speaks of salvation, a card from the San Diego Rescue Mission that lists many places for additional services, and, of course, socks. For $7, you can put this in the hands of a homeless person. Not only that, we will have a sock packing party. You can come join us and many others on Thursday, April 1st from 1 to 3 p.m. We will be making lots of socks that you can also purchase yourself to hand out at those freeway ramps where your heart wants to give, but you're not sure about giving money. That will be at 2702 Southport Way, Suite B. I have a sign-up sheet. Lily, if you could grab that and start passing around. And if you put your name, phone number, and email, I will definitely reach out to you and give you more details. But that's the date, April 1st, um, 1 to 3 p.m. Also, we have a new YouTube channel to keep you up to date with all our missions and where God leads us. All right, and I have business three minutes, and I have business cards on the back, on the back uh, table right there if you want to pick it up. 
This is Cindy, my sister, my Lily sister, and my Darlene. And if y'all want to come and join us, please ask. And, and we would love to have you on board. This is crazy. Uh, only God. <laughs> All right, y'all have a blessed day. That is amazing. That is amazing. Oh, and on the socks, if they're going to buy socks, buy dark colored ones. Because yes. with homeless people, the white, okay, is not as good for the homeless people. Oh, you got them. Okay. All right. Great. All right. Good deal. Please stand with us again as we praise the Lord. You're the only answer to the darkness. You're the only right among the wrong. You're the only hope among the chaos. You are the voice that calls me on. Louder than every lie, my sword in every fight, the truth will chase away. Your 
this time of desperation when all we know is doubt and fear there is only one foundation we believe we believe in this broken generation If you believe in God the Father, say amen. amen. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would you say amen again? Amen. I said amen again. Amen. Oh, never mind. If you believe in the Holy Spirit, would you say amen? amen. 
All right, you may be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, we'll begin the message on the simplicity of God's promises, but then we'll go from there to the book of Genesis. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, to begin in just a moment. But first of all, one of the things I missed so very much was talking to the boys and girls of First Baptist Church, those that are gathered here, kiddos, and those that are watching at home on their iPads. I miss so much being able to talk to you, and we were, if you remember back a month ago, we were going over one by one the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments of God, and so to, today's is actually the Ninth Commandment, uh, which is also called Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire, <clears throat> all right? The, ten, the Ninth Commandment, have you ever heard that saying, boys and girls, Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire? It came into usage, I found her out, about 1941. And it became, it had several variations, <coughs> one of them inspired by the, uh, the character of Pinocchio, I assume, because one of the variations was your nose is lo as long as a telephone wire. I'd never heard that one before. <coughs> that would be a reference to the children's story about a little wooden boy who every time he told a lie, his nose would grow. Now that would be a real problem wearing COVID masks, wouldn't it, after a while? <laughs> Can you imagine what it would look like uh, to have to wear one of those? Another variation was liar, liar, your tongue's on fire. Now that one actually makes, <coughs> I'm going to be doing this all morning, so if it makes you nervous, flee the scene, because <coughs> it, it's just the way it is. Uh, your, your tongue's on fire, and it makes a little bit more sense than your nose being on, <coughs> on fire. In the King James Bible, <coughs> it says, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by hell itself, James 3.6. Now, there are many sins we can commit with our tongue. We can lie about people or something. We can yell in anger. We can use God's name in vain, boys and girls. Or we can <coughs> deceive people just to name a few. The ninth commandment says, you shall not bear false witness. Thank you. I don't know if that's going to help, but we'll try you shall not bear false witness. And in other words, you should not lie against your neighbor or against anyone else. In the Old Testament, Zechariah says, every one of you speak the truth to your neighbor. My mom used to say, <coughs> oh my goodness. My mom used to say, uh, just keep telling the truth. You don't have to remember what you said. And uh, yeah, I'm going to try that, Donna. I, I kind of figured this was going to be an issue here. Thank you. And so uh, that's a good thing. When you tell the truth of what happened, then you don't have to remember what lies you told uh, previous to that. Just keep telling the truth. So boys and girls, it's very important to make sure that you always tell the truth. And whatever you do, don't let your pants catch on fire, because that would be no fun at all. First two weeks of February, we studied the substance of promises and then the spousal promises. The spousal promises was on uh, marriage. And if you didn't get to see that online or in person, I think that you ought to go back and review that one from February the 14th. It was a very important message, I believe. Today, we'll uh, attempt to make the point that God's promises are simple and easy to understand. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, Paul wrote these words, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And the word confusion there can mean uh, a few different things, but one of them is uncertainty. So let me read it that way. God is not the author of uncertainty, but of peace, as in all the church of the saints. God doesn't try to hide or confuse his will 
uh, from us. And it certainly doesn't want to hide or confuse his promises toward us. So I believe that God makes the promises he gives us very simple. The first point we want to talk about is how does an infinite being uh, communicate with finite beings? How does that happen? I've got (coughs) a bird feeder (coughs) and a hummingbird feeder in my backyard, both of which I stock up every single morning. And I would love to be able to communicate with him somehow, (coughs) but I really can't. Um, In fact, not only do I have birds in the backyard, I've got cats in the front yard that are, that are feral cats now that actually got as close as I am to Steve this morning uh, to the cats because I, I take them some dog food. It's really remarkable. They eat the dog food. They bark a little while, eat some more dog food. And uh, <clears throat> so we got cats in the front yard and birds in the back. I'd love to be able to let, let them know I'm not going to hurt you. This is good for you. This is something I'm putting out for you. So how can an infinite God communicate with a finite individual? In the Old Testament, he used a variety of ways. He spoke directly to individuals in visions from time to time. Uh, Daniel was an example of someone who God spoke to in visions. He also used dreams. Several people in, uh, in the uh, Old Testament, Joseph was one of them. Nebuchadnezzar was one of them. Uh, even, um, even Pharaoh had dreams that had to be interpreted. And so uh, he would speak in dreams. He would speak sometimes out of a a thick smoke or fire, he did so to Moses, or with a still small voice, he did so to Elijah, Um, or from heaven, a booming voice accompanied by a bright light like he did for Saul, who later on, after he was saved, became known as Paul. So uh, God doesn't speak to everyone in exactly the same way. Uh, God speaks to us in different ways, uh, but he communicates his word. God in the Old Testament also used prophets uh, who were given the word of God supernaturally, given truth, and then they would share it with people, priests who would uh, also divine the word of God, and kings to convey his promises to his people. In the New Testament days, God used apostles and disciples, as well as a compilation of preserved uh, inspired writings that they referred to as the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. Uh, By the way, this last week, I don't know if you noticed in the news, uh, some more fragments (coughs) of uh, scriptures were found from 2,000 years ago, preserved. I think it was the Nahum and Zechariah preserved. People say, well, you know, the Word of God keeps changing, and yet all of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in the 40s <coughs> and this latest uh, series of fragments uh, all are word for word with what we had from 2,000 years ago. They haven't changed at all. The Word of God is is preserved. Now, this now, these, this Old Testament writing mostly was in, primarily in Hebrew and Chaldean, but there was also a Greek translation at the time of Jesus um, that had been around since about 400 uh, B.C. It was called the Septuagint, which is Latin for 70. And I, I said, well, why is it, you know, what's the significance of 70? Well, there were 72 translators, so why didn't they call it the Septuagint too? I don't know, but... Uh, it was, they called Septuagint, which is 70, with LXX. And today, how does God communicate with us? Through His Word, through the Word of God. That's the primary way that He c- communicates His will and His promises to us. Now, can He speak to us through dreams? He can if He wants to. He's God. Can He give us a vision? He can if He wants to. He's God. Can He have a booming voice out of heaven speak to He can if He wants to, because He is God. 
However, primarily, he uses the written, preserved, infallible, inerrant word of Almighty God. And let me say this, by the way, uh, for people who claim to have extra-scriptural inspiration, if ever an extra-scriptural inspiration does not agree with the word of God, it is the extra the extra inspirational act that's faulty, not the Word of God. If it doesn't agree with the Word of God, you go with the Word of God. Most of God's promises in the Bible, Old and New Testament now, are presented in clear, simple statements and terminologies, preserved and written or printed on parchment or paper. Uh, and, and we don't need a seminary degree to understand so many of them. Uh, they're not presented in some kind of vague, nebulous terms, ambiguous terms. For the most part, he wants us to know what his promises are to us and to hope in them. So those, therefore, they're understandable. So in 1 John 1, 5, this is then the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God does not uh, kind of put a darkness over his promises that you can't figure it out, and you can't understand what he's trying to say, and don't have any idea what the promises of God are. He shines a big light on it. He says, here is my promise. Claim it, believe it, trust it, trust me, and it's going to work out. Nor are God's promises merely verbal fluff to make us feel better about things like death. There are those who, uh, you've probably heard this, the expression, the pie-in-the-sky religion. You're one of those Christians who believe in the pie-in-the-sky. Once you die, you go, to, you, know, you go to heaven, and everything's wonderful, and you float around on a cloud and play a harp. First of all, you don't float around on a cloud and play a harp, okay? Uh, that's just, I mean, heaven is a whole lot like here without sin, uh, but that's for another sermon and an, another time. But it's not just something that God has given to us to make us feel good about bad things like dying or bad things like going through illnesses or, or whatever else. What God says he will do, there is no perhaps in his promises. When God makes a promise, it's good. The phrase is you can go to the bank with it. Well, you can go to heaven's bank with God's promises. Now, when he makes a promise to a person, he makes sure they understand it. And I'm going to give you an example. God gave an example, uh, uh, gave a promise to Abraham and to Sarah. And it was before they were named Abraham and Sarah. It was Abram and Sarai. And it was clear and it was understood. And God performed it, even though Abraham and Sarah attempted to fulfill God's promise through the efforts of their own flesh. And that showed a lack of trust <clears throat> and God's uh, perfect revealed will. So the promise is given in Genesis chapter 15, beginning verse 1. And if I don't yell quite so loud, I don't cough so much, so I'm going to kind of talk more like a Methodist minister today, if that's okay with you. <laughs> Did I just say that? <clears throat> After these things, Genesis 15, verse 1, after these things, what things? After the Lot, his nephew, had been taken prisoner, after Abraham had, had organized a, a rescue party uh, with mostly uh, farmers and sojourners and travelers in his household, they went after the armies that had, that had captured his nephew, and they delivered Lot, they seized the spoils of war, and they, uh, they routed the enemy, and they tithed of all of the increase to Melchizedek, king of Salem, after these things, that's the things after which this happened, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, okay? There's one of the ways. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, I don't know how that works exactly. I don't know if he was in kind of a trance. <coughs> I don't know if, uh, if somehow it was revealed in the heavens above him. 
But in this vision, the words came to Abram, said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Easy to understand, right? And Abram said, uh, Lord God, what will you have me, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me you have given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This Eliezer, your servant, uh, shall not be your heir, but he that comes forth out of your own bowels. Um, and, and he's giving him a promise here. Again, it's easy to understand. Out of your own body, out of your own innermost being, out of your inward parts, out of your heart, out of your emotions, out of you will come your heir. It's not Eliezer. Eliezer is a great servant. He'll perform a great job a little bit later on in getting a wife for your son. But he is not your heir. I've promised you, you will have an heir. And, and what God says, he means. And what God means, he says. And, and so he brought him forth abroad and said, he took him outside, he said, look toward heaven and, and tell the stars, if you're able to number them, give me the names of all the stars up there, count them if you want to. And he said unto him, so shall your seed, your descendants, be. Your posterity, your children will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord and he God counted it or imputed it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Now, I added names there because there's lots of pronouns, and it gets kind of confusing if you don't do that. But basically, Abraham believed God. Abraham said, okay, you said I'm going to have a son, I'm going to have a son. You say it's going to be my son out of my bowels, I, I believe that you're going to do that. You're going to provide that. And so God then uh, counted it for righteousness on Abram's part. He counted him as a righteous individual because he believed. It wasn't because he had any works at that point. It was simply the fact that he believed. He believed God, and it was imputed to him. as It was credited to his account, Abram's account, as righteousness. And folks, that is, that's the simplest way to understand salvation by grace through faith right now. We believe. It's not believing and being a great guy. It's not believing and giving a lot of money. It's not believing and helping little old ladies across the street. It's not believing plus anything. It's not believing in getting baptized. It's not believing in joining a church. It's believing. And that faith, that idea of putting our confidence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the sin bearer of this world, as the one who died in my place on the cross, paying the price for every sin I've ever committed Amen. and ever will commit. That's what gave me righteousness. And it's not my righteousness. It's imputed to me. He earned it. He gained it. He gave it. And it becomes mine as a gift. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of works, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. So Abram, so Abram has promised this, this great problem. Man, I, I'm, I, you imagine his conversation with Sarah. Hey, we're going to have a baby. I don't know when it's going to be, but we're going to have a baby. Yeah, I know you've been, I've been hearing that for years, she said. Well, we're going to have a baby, I promise you. So look, here's what happens. The promise is restated in Genesis 17. Now, I'm not sure, I, I didn't figure out... <clears throat> How old he was in Genesis 15. But in Genesis 17, he's 99 years old and hasn't had his baby yet. I have a friend who, a um, young man, I, I knew him when he was born. He said he had his first baby, they had their first baby in their 20s, their second baby in their 30s, 
and a surprise when he was in his 40s. He said, I can't imagine. I feel so bad for Abraham. I can't, I can't imagine. 99 in Genesis 17, here we go. And when Abram was 90 years old, yeah, 90 and 9 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect, which means not to be without any imperfections at all. It means to be complete, upright, and sincere. Walk with me as you should as a, as a believer, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. 99. No babies yet. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, For as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be a father of many nations. Holy cow. Not just going to have a baby. Now you're going to be a father of many nations. And Abram's still believing him, folks. What a, no wonder he was the father of the faithful and so-called. Neither shall your name anymore be called Abram, which means exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, which means the father of a great multitude. For a father of many nations have I made you, and I will make you exceeding fruitful, and make nations of you, and, sh and kings shall come out of you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and to your seed after you. And I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land wherein you're a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, You shall keep my covenant before you, and therefore you and your seed after you in their generations. This is my covenant, which you will keep between me and your seed after you. Every man, child, shall be circumcised. Skipping down to verse 15. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, which means princess, by the way, I got, a, I got a get well card from a princess. Thank you, Lily. I've never gotten a get well card or any other kind of card from a princess before in my life. So thank you very much. That made my day. Uh, so, so no longer will, will Sarai be called uh, princess. Uh, you shall call her name Sarah, which means noble woman. And it sh that shall be her name. And I will bless her and give you a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. I'm not sure how falling on your face makes you laugh, but uh, he was overwhelmed here at this statement by God. Shall a child be born to him that is 100 years old? Shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? Shall she have a baby? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael, which means God will hear, might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son indeed, and shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So, okay, here we go. So, first promise is made. You're going to have a son. Second promise is made. You're going to be the father of many nations. But, Lord, I'm 99 years old. Falls on his face. Laughs. Uh, delirious, probably. A little delirium setting in. And, and so now the promise is given a third time in Genesis 18. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and, and lo, three men stood by him. This, this has the idea and the connotation of uh, Abraham's there, and, and he's going about whatever business he's doing there, and he looks up, and suddenly, all of a sudden, there are three individuals before him. And, and these, this word that's translated men in our English translation, in other places is translated visitors, and in other places translated angels, messengers of God. 
So he's going about his business. He's looking around. He's got, he, he looks up, and there's three individuals there. We're going to find out they're not just men. They're not mortal men at all. We're going to find out something special about it. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I've found favor in your sight, don't pass me right now. I beg you from your servant, let a little water uh, and, and, and let me get a little water and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort you, your hearts. After that, you shall pass on, for therefore uh, are you come to your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. Go ahead and do so. Go ahead and get us some morsel of bread. Go ahead and get us some water so we can wash and be refreshed. Abraham hastened to do that, <clears throat> and he went in the tent. And, and ladies, you'll love this. He goes in the tent and says, Sarah, I want you to cook a full-on meal. I want to have everything, all the vegetables, all the meats. I want everything. This is, I want special because uh, we've got some guests that are here. And so Abraham ran to the herd. He got a tender calf, and he gave it to the young man who then killed it and dressed it. And he took butter and milk and the calf, which he addressed, and he set it before these men, these individuals, these messengers, and they did eat. And after they said unto him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, in the kitchen, cleaning up after all the stuff she's been doing for you guys. No, he didn't say that. He said, she's in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto you according to, the, to this time of life. And lo, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, uh, which was behind him. Now, Sarah, uh, Abraham and Sarah were old and well-stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. It wasn't possible, humanly speaking, for her to conceive at all. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying... After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child when I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I ask you that question this morning. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, this is the third time that God has revealed to them that they're going to have a son who's going to be the, uh, the, their own descendant from their own loins, and that, in fact, Abraham is going to be uh, the father of many nations, and, and now he's 99 years old, or maybe a little older at this point, and, and is anything too hard for the Lord? You say, well, that's not even possible. How about a virgin birth? How about that? How about not even having a, a human dad? How about that? How about a resurrection? We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, right? How about he who was dead coming back to life? Is anything too hard for the Lord? If anything is too hard for the Lord, I'm sorry that your God is so impotent. Because my God can do whatever he wants to do. And my God will do everything that he says he's going to do. Is anything too... Why are you laughing at me, Sarah? Is anything too hard for God? At the time appointed, I will return to you according to the time of life, and you will have a son. And Sarah got a little nervous here, and she said, No, I didn't laugh, for I was, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So three times the revelation is given. The same promise, the same promise is given. Maybe because the situation was so, um, was so unusual, but affirming the fact that nothing is too hard for the Lord. And Jesus, in fact, said these words, With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Hey, with God, Gary, stage 4 cancer can be taken care of. Absolutely can. With God, cancer can be taken care of. With God, hey, let's be praying for Brian. Uh, pneumonia can be healed. With God, 
Tumors can be healed. Let's pray for that. Let's believe that. It was counted unto uh, Abraham for righteousness. It was imputed to him for righteousness because he believed God. Is anything too hard for God? Chris, is anything too hard for God? Not at all. Human, but but here's, 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 where we, here's where I get into trouble. I won't indict you. Here's where I get into trouble. I figure out how to make things work out for God. You ever do that? Uh, God's in a tough spot here. I got to kind of work this out for him. Huh? Uh, yeah, I think so. Because here's what happens. Genesis 16, verse 1. After the promise that seemed impossible to be fulfilled. After that promise, there's no way it's going to happen. Sarah... Sarai, Abram's wife, bore, bare him no children, and she began to question God's promise, no doubt. And therefore, she said, I have a handmaiden, an Egyptian girl, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I beg you, go in unto my maid, that it may be that I may obtain children by her. I'm going to figure out a way to help God. God has backed himself into a corner here. God has given me a promise. There's no way he can fulfill it. So I'm going to get God out of a jam. Here's, here, you, you know Hagar. I want you to, I want you to sleep with her. I want, I want her to conceive. And then the, the baby that she bears will be mine because she is my handmaiden. And Abram, Abram, what in the world's the matter with you, buddy? <laughs> Come on. This is one of those sections of scripture, every time I get to this point, I keep hoping it'll change from the last time that I read it. And, and so Sarah says, what do you think? And Abram says, sounds good to me. <laughs> Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, their maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Not really wife, concubine. A concubine without full rights of a wife, which thing, which thing the Bible never approves of. It just accounts the fact that it took place. The Bible never approved of multiple wives. Did you know that? Never uh, of polygamy. Never did it approve that. Uh, Adam, there was Adam and Eve. There wasn't a, a plethora of women uh, in his harem. He had no harem. Uh, God made one woman for one man, one man for one woman. And here... Uh, you know, because it's in the Bible, people say, well, yeah, see, King David had all these wives. Yeah, and they got in, into a mess. Solomon had 300 and some wives and 600 and some concubines. I used to say, that's a whole lot of pantyhose hanging over the shower rug or drying. <laughs> Can you imagine a thousand wives? Can you imagine trying to remember all the anniversary dates and all the birth dates? And you know, forget it, Charlie. That's not going to happen. So she became a concubine without full rights of wife, and he went under Hagar, and she conceived, and she saw that she had conceived. And guess what happened? Sarah got ticked. Sarah despised her. And Sarah said unto Abram, my wrong be upon you. It's your fault, Abram. This has been wrong, and the consequences are going to rest on you. I gave my maiden to thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes, and the Lord judged between me and you. Folks, we don't need to help God out. When God makes a promise, he can fulfill it. We need to wait on God. That's our problem. Instant gratification. 
well, God said it, so let's work it out right now. No, when God says it, God will do it. You don't need to work it out. You need to be patient. You need to wait. The promise of salvation cannot be earned in the power of the flesh. Well, I, I want to I go to heaven one day. I want my sins forgiven. I don't like all the shame that I'm living in right now. So I, I'm, I'm just, I'll tell you what, I'm going to become a saved person. I'm going I'm to start signing up. I'm going to give money to live love, and I'm going to go on a mission trip, and I'm going to uh, sell my house and divide it with the homeless people, and I'm, I'm going I'm to earn my... No, you're not going to earn your way into heaven. You can't do it. It's not possible. You can't figure out how to fulfill God's promises. It's up to God to fulfill his promise. The promise of supplying our needs must be met by our faith, not by our stealing or taking things and saying, well, look, look what God provided. Oh, I found a wallet. Look, well, thank you, Lord. You provided. (laughs) That's not how God does things. We need to let him fulfill his promise. Abraham's Action started a holy war. Do you realize that? That go on, goes on today. Hagar, Ishmael, became the founder of the nations of the, uh, of the Arabs. And the Arabs and the Jews are still fighting it out in the promised land today, thousands of years later. You get into trouble trying to bail God out of a jam. God doesn't get into jams. See, God obligates the fulfillment of his promise as he intended it to be, not the way some people interpret it, and not the way that some people understood it. When Jesus, when God rather promised Israel there would be a king, a Messiah, they expected someone to come in to overwhelm the Roman Empire, to expel the Caesars, to occupy the throne of Israel once again, for Israel to become this this (coughs) powerful, independent Uh, not subjugated nation once again. And when Jesus came in as a lamb, the lamb of God to be sacrificed, they rejected him because he didn't come in the way that they thought, the people thought he was going to come. God tells us how he's going to come in Isaiah 53. The Jews had it. They had it hundreds of years before Christ even was born. So let me say it again. A promise is only as good as two things, the character of the promiser and the power of the promiser to fulfill that promise. I have promised to love, honor, to trust, to provide for, to do all this stuff for my wonderful bride. And if I have the character, I will do it And if I have the ability, I will do it. If I suddenly didn't have the ability to do that, to take care of her, that would nullify the promise. Well, God's character is without flaw. Are we agreed on that? God is perfect. And God's power is without limitation. And God's promise will be his performance. And Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he can lie, neither the son of man that he can repent. And he has said... And shall he not, what he has said, shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, shall he not make it good? And Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3, but I fear lest by any means 
that, the, that as the serpent beguiled Eve through a subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. God's promises are fulfilled. He promised salvation to those who call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's complicated about that? But boy, we sure have complicated and muddied the waters, haven't we? I told you, I told you about a, a survey I took of pastors in Pueblo, Colorado, back in 1972. <clears throat> I, my pastor asked me, um, call these pastors up and ask them, what do I need to do to get to heaven? I thought, well, that's a no-brainer. They're all going to say, trust in Christ as your Savior. What, a, what, a, what kind of a job is this? I began calling preachers and asking them, I said, I identified myself. I said, I'm the youth pastor over at Park Hill Baptist Church, and I'm, I'm calling you. I want to ask you a simple question, if I could. If someone came to you and said, what do I have to do to get to heaven, what would you tell them? You wouldn't believe the answers the preachers gave me. There was everything from, oh, <laughs> oh, wow, let me see. Uh, boy, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, literally, that's almost literally, as I remember it anyhow, the way that that one person responded. Everybody gave me some kind of, a, some kind of an extra scriptural answer. None of them said, you've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with your heart. You've got to trust in him and, and confess. None of them said that. It was always works or whatever. The only person, by the way, who got mad at me was another Baptist preacher. What are you doing calling asking that kind of stuff? <laughs> Pardon me, I'm different doing my job. My preacher told me to. He promised his salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. Don't need a lexicon. Don't need a commentary. The simple promise of Almighty God. And yet we muddy it up and we think, we got, well, I've got, to, I've got to do this list of 12 things. I've got, to, you know, there's, there's, I've got to make sure I don't commit these sins. These are mortal sins. These are venial sins. These are, uh, you know, sin is sin is sin. He promises he will never leave us. <coughs> never leave us. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I don't care how awful your circumstances get. I don't care how many people turn their backs on you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a simple promise from Almighty God who keeps his word and doesn't lie. He promises he will not put more on us than we can bear. I heard someone, maybe it's on the internet, I don't know. I heard someone say sometimes he does put more on you than you can bear. And they explained away 1 Corinthians 10, 13 in a way that made no sense to me. Because when I read 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be attempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. It seems to me pretty simple. God says, I'm not going to put more on you than what you can handle. And God says, there will be a way of escape. And guess what else he promised? He promised he was going to raise from the dead after three days, didn't he? After three days. Guess what happened after three days? He rose from the dead. 
He folded the grave clothes. He left the grave clothes inside the tomb. Stone was rolled away. Grave was empty. <coughs> oh, there's another promise. He says he's going to come back for us one day. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Simple promise of Almighty God. I'm coming back again. I'm ready, aren't you? After being in quarantine, I was, I'm telling you, I snuck out once. Pat got so mad at me, I, I snuck out, she took a nap, and I took off. She knows where I went, a couple of places. She doesn't know all of them. I didn't tell her because she got so mad when she found out a couple of places I went. I didn't do anything bad. I just would get out of here. He's coming back for us, folks. He's coming back. He promised he would come the first time he did. He promised he would be crucified. He was. He promised he would rise again, and he did. He promised he's coming back. Are you ready? Do you know for sure your sins are forgiven? Has God's righteousness been imputed or given to you? Have you received it? How do you do that? Same way Abraham did, by faith. It's the only way you can do it. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask you a question, a very personal question, very simple question. Do you know if you died today that you'd be in heaven tonight? Do you know if you died today you'd be in heaven tonight? Now, if you don't know that, don't raise your hand. But if you know that, preacher, yeah, I know if I died Today I'd be in heaven tonight. Raise your hand up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just raise your hand up. Hold it up. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You can put your hands down. All right? You didn't raise your hand. How many of you would say, preacher, I'm going to be honest with you. I do not know if I died right now that I'd be in heaven tonight. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'd love to pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I won't say your name. I won't point you out. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand up. Say, preacher, pray for me. I don't know if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Other others, God bless you. Any others? Thank you. Put your hands down. One more time. Anyone else? Yes, God bless you. All right, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, all of us of sin come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And last of all, that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And those of you who are not sure if you died today, you'd be in heaven tonight, and you want to know that, you want to have your sins forgiven, you want to know that you're a Christian, that you're a believer, I want you to pray. I'm going to give you a sample prayer. I want you to pray it. Mean it with all your heart, okay? It's not the magic formula. It's not the words you say. It's the idea and the intention of trusting Christ as your Savior. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to say this prayer after me. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. 
to the Lord, whatever, but pray to him and say these words. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm going to die and stand before you someday. But I'm not ready yet. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he was crucified and buried. And I believe he rose again. And right now, I want to put my faith and trust and confidence in him. Take my sins away. Make me your child, I pray. Every head still bowed. Very important question. Listen closely. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, you're sincere as you can be, would you hold your hand up real high? Hold it up real high. I just prayed that prayer. Keep it up for just a moment. God bless you and you and you and you and you and you. I think I saw everybody. Thank you. Now, God, I thank you for this holy moment. Father, births are always exciting times. The birth of a new baby is an amazing thing. And Lord, the rebirth, when a person becomes a child of God, is an amazing thing. And if I counted correctly, five or six people prayed to receive Jesus as their personal Savior just now. Lord, they've been born again into your family. And you've said, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that we can know that we have eternal life. And I pray you would give that knowledge now to these who prayed that simple prayer. That if something happens to them, they'll be in your presence. They'll be with you forevermore because they put their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, give them that confirmation right now. God bless us. Help us to go from this place and to be witnesses and testimonies of your amazing grace and the fact that nothing is too hard for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? You know what? Four, five, six people receive Christ as their personal Savior. Why don't we give God a hand, huh? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? We're going to have a closing hymn. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You, those of you who raised your hand, if you would love to, I would love for you to come down and share that with me or my wife, uh, any ladies who prayed, uh, any guys who prayed, just come on down and let us know. But here's what I want you to do for sure, regardless of whether you come forward or not. On the back table by the sound booth, there's some blue plastic bags, and they have some reading material in there, uh, Because I'm Saved book, and a Bible, and I think a few things in there. So I want you to pick up one of those. Nobody will say anything to you about it. You just take it home with you, read it. Anything I can do to help you out, would be glad to do so. In our closing hymn, uh, we invite you to come and do whatever it is. And maybe God wants you to be a member here. You come and say, I'd like to join the church, or if you want to be baptized, or if you receive Christ as your Savior, come ahead as they lead us in this song right now. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. One more verse. If God's leading you, come ahead on this verse, just for you. Indeed, I find thy power and thine 
Don't forget to pick up the blue bag in the back. May God bless you, give you a great Lord's Day the rest of the day. Thank you for being in God's house. Pick up the crosses too.